You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Good morning, Ms. Lee. Good morning, Tim. Thank you for taking the time out of your vacation to join us on the podcast. Um, I thought I'd have you on because when Alberta first announced its um, immediate roadside suspension program, we talked about it, not you and I, but Paul and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Um, But now that it's been out there for eight, nine, nine months, it's uh it came in in december so yeah, december yeah. 18th sorry i was trying to move this thing around but it's too much glare coming in so i'll, I'll just let it sit here in my lap um i thought it would be good to talk about what it actually looks like on the day okay so the day we do the hearings or what does like, it look like as like a road like what happens when a person gets a gets an immediate roadside suspension what happens in the hearings, what happens? Just tell us about the actual process as it plays out. Okay, well, I'll walk you through it then. So um, in Alberta, once they get the roadside suspension, they've got seven days to file the appeal. And that seven days is a really hard line in the sand. Um, I've had two applications um, for extensions and both of them have been dismissed. And, And one of them was where a guy sent it into our office right at the beginning before we realized what was going on. And he uh, had a, uh, Alberta still had some under the old program because uh, the appeals, uh, you, you had 30 days to appeal on those. So he sent in, he gave us the old appeal documents and the new appeal documents and we didn't file them because we didn't realize that was the day. So we sent in a letter going, hey guys, we just got this, we screwed up. And they go, yeah, too bad, so sad. And you're, we're going, you're kidding. The guy went and bought it and brought it to us and his lawyer didn't realize the urgency. And uh, and they said, yeah, we don't care. And then we had another one where the guy gets arrested and uh, given a bunch of documents, but not including a nap. They never served him with a notice of administrative penalty. We call them naps for short. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I sent in something saying, look, we uh, he never got one. He got all his other documents. And uh, we called we called the helpline and they didn't have anything. Well, it turns out the officer hadn't uploaded it. And I said, and now he pulls a driver's abstract and only there on the driver's abstract do we see that he's got a suspension. So now, but now we're one day too late. And I sent in the request and they go, yeah, no, this is all consistent with him having gotten it and lost it. And I'm going, are you kidding me? So we're appealing that one. We're seeking judicial review. So what if he loses it? People lose shit. Yeah, but they they don't allow any leeway for people losing stuff. It's it's uh, uh, it's a very very hard line in the sand. And I get probably one person a week now calling me and saying, uh, "I missed the seven days. What do I do?" And 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 half the time they go, "And I don't have any money." <laughs> and I'm going, "Well, you should save your money." And I mean, I says, you know, I say if you want to pay us to submit a request on your behalf, you can, but I'm telling you right now, it's 99% sure that it's not gonna work. So don't waste your breath. So anyways, so that seven days is a hard line in the sand. So when they come to us, 
um, we say to them, here's what our fees are. And, uh, and we'll add on $150 filing fee because we would rather you give us the money and we will file it for you, uh, which is probably not very smart from a liability point of view, because I'm sure that at some point we're going to miss one of those um, just from just on sheer numbers and sheer volume. Mm -hmm. the, the difficulty is, is that uh, the Alberta legislation, the way they've set it up is that if the client, it, once you file the appeal, they ask you for three, three dates that you can have the review heard on. And so you give them three dates and you say early morning, or sorry, morning, early afternoon, or late afternoon. And uh, then in sometimes in a day and sometimes in a week, you get an email back saying, here's, here's when your review has been scheduled. And is there a time frame in which the review has to take place? Yes, the review has to happen within 21 days of the day that they're stopped. Yep. And the appeal decision has to be rendered within 30 days of the day that they're stopped. I think you have the similar legislation in BC. We've got 14 and 21. Yeah, so a little more, little more leeway here, but the leeway actually works against us because what happens is uh, in practice, uh, when we started this whole process, um, the, uh, the adjudicators would take the whole, the whole time. Sorry, I tried to make you bigger and it didn't seem to work. <laughs> That's okay. You don't need uh -oh. to it's early in the morning. I, I know, I'm just, I'm going, uh, all right, all of a sudden, uh, uh, all of a sudden you're in a small, can't, you're in a small uh, picture in the corner of my. Uh, you go to the top right corner where it says view, you can go yeah. or gallery. And if you go gallery, it will. Stop video, exit, minimize video. There we go. Ah. Um, I'm, it's tough being a dinosaur with technology, uh, all of this. <laughs> Anyways, um, so what we find, unfortunately, is even when we win, we don't get the decision for 30 days yep, uh, or nearly 30 days. Now, I got to say there are some exceptions, and I had one yesterday that uh, it was a slam dunk, and I said to the, to the adjudicator, you know, it'd be nice if we could get an answer quicker. But they, the adjudicators all have their, their list of decisions that they're working on, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's the first in, first out sort of thing. And so we, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I think we got ours uh, a week early yesterday on, on one that they, they quashed. Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. How many of these do you think they're handing out a month? Um, uh, well, they have, I think around 400 on their website, 400 decisions. So the decisions are reported. Oh, and, wow. And I think their website is several months behind because a number of our more recent decisions uh, yet. Um, okay. So that's, uh, I mean, if you think there's, uh, what, August, eight months really of hearings and 400, so they're doing 50 a month. Um, that seems to be, I, I would think it's probably a higher number than that. I, I don't know. But I, I honestly get the impression that they had no idea no idea what to expect. They hired 17 adjudicators. It's all, they're all centered, centralized in Edmonton. Um, and uh, they had no idea what to expect in terms of uh, volume of people seeking appeals of these things. And, uh, and the same now that we've, we've filed these judicial reviews, uh, we're certainly getting that impression from the courts. 
that they're just overwhelmed by the idea that all of these judicial review applications are coming in. Um, and, it, and actually the courts have been very hostile. Uh, we've gotten um, a direction. Uh, one of the Associate Chief Justice Rook uh, decided on his own initiative to uh, review a number of the uh, judicial review applications that have been filed and to stay them uh, as being an abuse of the process of the court because they weren't sufficiently detailed. So he did see, but he said to counsel, he sent the thing to counsel and goes, you know, unless you can amend it so that it complies with all these deficiencies that I've noted in this written judgment. And, uh, and, and of course, his judgment dispenses with the need for the defense to sign off on it. So it's, it's just the judge and the director and the government, you know, and hand in glove issuing us these orders that we uh, have to follow. And, uh, and the director, the counsel for the director, of course, never brought any of these applications. They, they, they weren't offended. Uh, it's like we don't want to deal with judicial reviews those are boring <laughs> well i i think counsel there's only two lawyers in alberta that are dealing with these and uh uh and i get the impression they're swamped now as well i just got an email this morning where they're saying um uh, consenting to a stay for one of my clients but they're going we're consenting to next july so almost a year from now to uh to put a, an end date on the order so that uh uh, because they think it's going to take that long for scheduling. So there's, it's, and we've just started, we haven't heard any of them yet. I've just filed uh, two written arguments in the last week, and I understand those are going to be the first two judicial review applications that are going to be heard at all starting in September. Wow. Pardon me? Just hope you don't get rook. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I, I, I've known Justice Rook for many years, and uh, it's uh, he's he's not that bad of a, a guy. But so, sometimes, sometimes I think that uh, people just operate within their own frame of reference and and may not consider how it looks like from our perspective. The other thing that we got, I, and I don't know how it how it works in British Columbia. Maybe you can help me on this. But when you do a judicial review application, doesn't the uh, director of uh, what BC safety roads or whatever you call it, BC road safety have to furnish a record to the court? of the Yeah. So the way it works under our Judicial Review Procedure Act is the person who's filing um, the judicial review has to file a supporting affidavit. And that usually attaches the record because what else do you attach? Um, but then uh, the superintendent of motor vehicles and attorney general who are both represented by AG's council in BC, file their own affidavit with the record, but they're not required to furnish the record. You would actually have to apply for a separate order uh, to compel them to furnish the record if you didn't have it. Okay, so in our legislation, we have to send a form when we file our judicial review application asking the director or directing or ordering the director to produce a record. And, and, and so what they do is they'll, they'll produce all the documents that they have and then they will, uh, uh, and, 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 and a recording, because these hearings are recorded and they were video and now they're just oral audio recorded. And uh, they were supposed to do transcripts and they just decided unilaterally, they don't wanna do transcripts, they're too busy. And so we get another letter from one of the other associate chief justices going, um, please notify applicants that they're gonna have to get their own transcript. 
and pay for the transcript privately. And I'm going, what? Where'd this come from? Bullshit. <laughs> well, it's anyways, it's an order. And uh, and so um, and I've, I said to myself when that, that came in, I said, yeah, I'm, I, I should bring an application and, and contest that. And then all of a sudden, my my arguments were due, and my and my transcript was due, and I didn't have time to go and fight about it, so I just paid for the damn thing. Um, I guess you could bring an application and then seek an order that the director pay for the transcript because yes, you know they're the ones with the pockets. Your client well, and and they're supposed to. Yet the other interesting thing, just while we're talking about judicial reviews, so I will bring that application. But I, I wanted to talk to someone who is, uh, has been doing administrative law for years in this context and say, what usually happens when they produce the record? Don't they have to produce a transcript? Or well, Our hearings aren't recorded. Oh, uh, well, ours and ours are. Um, they get that way. <laughs> and then they get to yeah. say things in the judicial reviews like, oh, yeah, we didn't consider this argument because you never made it. Yeah. So I started making all of my arguments in writing and orally. So then I could go, here it is. No, yep. I make it. I, and and we do that as well. I I one of the things that I try to do is uh, file a detailed written argument in every case. And I also, for the information for my client, I get an affidavit because yep. I don't want to be in a position because the, the police reports are deemed to be under oath by the legislation. Uh, although there's no requirement like you guys have to have a sworn report, they're deemed to be. And uh and so I don't ever want to be in a situation of the adjudicator being able to say, well, I've got two conflicting stories and the officer's report is deemed to be under oath and, and the, for whatever reason, the driver has chosen not to, uh, not to swear an affidavit. So he just says, this is his statement, that there's no, he hasn't sworn it under threat of perjury. So we're not going to give any weight to it. Uh, so I, I know other lawyers don't always follow that practice and I, I think they should. They used to do that here. And then there was a series of five judicial review judgments, each one going, nope, bad adjudicator. You can't just really? evidence because it's sworn when they're not required to swear it. Just because the officer is required to swear it doesn't mean that the applicant is. And mm. go to whether the applicant's more likely to be telling the truth when you have no evidence about why it wasn't sworn. Mm. So. Interesting. I might have to get those citations from you someday. Um, but I do try, I, I, I do uh, file a written argument. One of the things that we have to do, of course, is once our appeal date is set, then um, we have to file, uh, we have to give two clear days on any of our documents before the oral review. Oh, so, wow. if so if it's set for Friday, I can't file anything after Tuesday at midnight. Ours say 4.30, the day, two days before the hearing, but there's like a, the equivalent of a practice direction from a very old superintendent who's no longer the superintendent that said, as long as it's submitted by the end of the hearing time, they'll consider it. Because they have to, under our application, they have to consider any um, representations made at the oral hearing. So that wouldn't foreclose them from considering something sent during the hearing. Yeah, ours, ours are... Um, I, I mean, our, I know, I remember when you, when I, when I read your uh, transcript of your book, your pre-publication version, you still haven't sent me an autograph copy yet. Um, I have to order more. 
I'm waiting for my autograph copy, Kyla, together with an invoice. I'm happy to pay for it, but I, I still want an autograph copy. All but right. when, I was, when I was reading through that, um, the, uh, now I lost my train of thought, making jokes about paying you for, uh, for this. But, oh, you commented about how uh, none of these things have been addressed and they were going to be addressed in the regulations and the regulations are easy to amend. And I see exactly, that is exactly how it's played out. And so all of the rules about what we have to do uh, are in the regulations. So they don't need to go back to the legislature to change it. They can just go, oh, let's just delete this and add this and change the wording on that. And uh, I'm anticipating as we win cases, that they're going to keep changing the regulations to make it more difficult for us to do that. Yep. Um, they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's, it's interesting because the whole uh, the whole Civia and Goodwin line of cases where they talked, they struck down the BC legislation because uh, it didn't provide for a meaningful opportunity for review and for a defense for someone who was factually innocent. Um, you know, the upshot of that was that uh, there have there has to be a less uh, a less intrusive uh, type of legislation, which means that there has to be more availability of, of reviews for the, uh, for the driver and a more meaningful type of review. And so what they've done in, in Alberta is they've taken away, or they've tried to take away all the defenses that would apply for uh, an impaired driving case. And then they give you all these specific defenses, things like if they don't provide you with the records of, the maintenance and calibration records for the ASD, then they'll have to cancel the nap. Yeah. Right. And, but it's interesting because one that I'm just looking at at the moment is uh, one of the specific requirements is they have to uh, provide you with the date of the last annual maintenance. And instead, what we get is the picture from the officer of the little tag attached to the screening device that just says maintenance expiry date. So they don't say what date they, they did it. They just tell you when it's going to expire. But Tim, you should know it's an annual date. Well, and, and there's the thing, except that the annual date, of course, isn't, it doesn't actually tell you that. So they, they're, the point is that they're interpreting a lot of these requirements in such a way as to totally gut them. Yeah. So it looks good on paper that you have all these available defenses, but in practice, they're saying, no, uh, we're going to interpret it that you don't have to. So I, I'll tell you the biggest one, and this is the one that's been occupying most of my time and in the judicial reviews, is they say that uh, if the NAP will be canceled if they don't advise the driver in writing of his right to a roadside appeal, uh, and he's not aware of that right. So it's a double-edged sword. And in BC, you guys, your legislation is just shut, set up for the roadside fail from a screening device. And if the guy blows a right side fail, roadside fail, then uh, he has a right to a second test. And that's the wording that you use. And mm -hmm. our legislation contemplates that you can get a, a nap or a suspension in, in about nine different ways. You can get one from an approved instrument, from a refusal, from uh, a drug sobriety screening tests, from a DRE evaluation, or just if the officer has reasonable grounds for an impaired uh, or if it's alcohol and drugs. So they have all these different different ways that you can lose your right initially. And there's nine different sections that gives right of appeal. 
and with about 16 different kinds of appeal ranging from blood sample to urine sample to DRE evaluations to uh, oral swabs, it, depending. And, and interestingly, if they just think you're impaired, your appeal is to uh, blow into a screening device. But if you've blown into a screening device and failed, your appeal is to blow into a different screening device. Okay, so what does Alberta do? Instead of having a different form for each situation, they try to have one form for all the situations. And, and they say, hey, uh, and, and there's a specific obligation for them to include a written statement about the right to a roadside appeal. Those are the words. And instead, what they do is they have a written statement that says, you have the right to request a second test to confirm your blood drug slash alcohol concentration. And so confirm is the opposite of appeal. If you if you failed one test and you want to take another one to confirm the first one, you're trying to show that the result's the same, which is not what an appeal is. An appeal is trying to show, get a different result. Why do the same thing if you're not going to get a different result? And, and then they talk about a blood drug alcohol concentration. Well, for someone who's just blown into a screening device that only measures alcohol, there is no drug slash alcohol concentration to appeal or confirm. And, and then the further it says, uh, and you have this right to the second test to confirm, well, the second test is to blow into a different screening device that only measures alcohol, doesn't measure anything about drugs. And so there's no drug slash alcohol concentration to appeal, to confirm, and confirm is the opposite of appeal. And and they don't actually tell them anywhere that it's a roadside appeal and that there's no downside, right? So they, the form, and the other thing they do, of course, is that uh, they're supposed to issue the suspension as soon as the person fails, and they don't. And what they do is they've created a tearaway sheet that isn't a notice of administrative penalty, but it says it is at the top. And it isn't a notice because it doesn't have all the things that a notice of administrative penalty has to have in it, and it's a required form but it pretends to be, and they give them that instead. And what that document does, which you guys don't have in British Columbia, is it threatens criminal prosecution. It says, if you blow this second test, we can use this second test to initiate a criminal investigation to make you provide further samples. And uh, also we're gonna make you sign a waiver that specifically agrees that the results of this second test can be used against you in any proceedings to prove your drug alcohol concentration. Including so, the criminal proceeding? Uh, yeah, it, they, it, it explicitly affirms it's part of a criminal proceeding. So that's what ridiculous. that, sorry? That's ridiculous. Well, of course it's ridiculous, but because this is, no one's appealed it yet. Yeah. Right? So, and the adjudicators, uh, they're not lawyers. They have no legal training. Some of them are uh, better than others. Mm-hmm. But they've obviously been given their marching orders that says, hey, the way that we do this by, by not giving the form we're required to give and giving a different form instead that threatens criminal, that's all good. And, and there's a specific phrase. So I've, I've been arguing a number of times and saying, hey, they haven't advised them of the right to a roadside appeal in writing. And I get two answers and, and, and they're the same stock answers. They, they just cut and paste the paragraph. And one says, there's no requirement that they give him this advice before he decides whether to blow. So they can, they can say, do you want to blow? And, and he can blow. And then at the end, they go, oh, by the way, here's something telling you about your right to blow. 
and informing you about this rate. They say, oh, that's fine. We can tell them way after the fact. And secondly, they say, the question is, is did the officer undermine or obscure the clear written advice on this document about that advises him of his roadside appeal? Even though the document doesn't say anything about roadside appeal, it says you have the right to request a second test to confirm your blood, drug, alcohol concentration. And I'm just going, obviously someone's told them that that's what they're supposed to say because they keep saying it and they never even think about it. And that's uh, my first two appeals are going to be on that issue, you know, right? My first two judicial reviews. Well, once you have the decisions, we'll have to have you back to either scream into the void uh, or celebrate your yeah. wins. <laughs> I, I won't be screaming into the void. I, All right. I anticipate that we're going to be successful. But, awesome. Well, you thank, you, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us. And uh, this will be out next Friday, so a week today from when we're recording. Oh. If, I'm sorry if I'm sorry if we got too technical. I'm not sure that what you and I are discussing is of interest to anyone except lawyers who deal in this area. Oh, trust me, we have a, a wide listenership who will be fascinated by this. Um, how can people reach you if they need to get a hold of you about an immediate roadside suspension or any other legal issue in Alberta? Uh, we have a website called Road Lawyers, R-O-A-D Lawyers. Uh, you can look me up there. That's the easiest way. Perfect. Numbers, email contacts are all there. Well, thank you so much for joining Make sure they do it right away because of that seven-day limitation right at the beginning. You don't want to miss that. And if you can't find roadlawyers.ca because that's somehow very confusing for you, you can always contact us and we'll put you in touch with Tim. Or look up Tim Foster QC somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Have a great day, Kyla. Nice chatting with you. Nice seeing you again. Yeah, nice to see you. All right. Take care.